Good morning. This liturgy is a wonderful mouthful. Let me start by saying that. So today we'll be discussing the definition of Chalcedon, Chalcedonian Creed, and something to remember so you know. We all have homeschoolers. Some of us um, have learned from other folks. Some of us have learned ourselves how to pronounce the Chalcedonian Creed. So please forgive me if I misspeak or say this incorrectly. I am one of those homeschool gentlemen with respect to these things. But it's a privilege this morning to talk with you about this as we transition from our prior study these next couple of weeks we'll be talking with you about the Chalcedonian Creed and what is it so first I'll read it again it's also a mouthful so take a moment rest as I read these words to you and then we'll discuss uh, the meaning behind these okay so here we are we confess the Lord Jesus Christ perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial also with us according to manhood, in all things like unto us, yet without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and in one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one in the same Son, and only begotten, God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the fathers has handed down to us. Amen. So the Son of God and the Son of Man. That would be today's title if we had one. The Son of God and the Son of Man. This Son of God and Son of Man is one person who we call Jesus the Christ. Today we're going to talk about this as we introduce you to the Chalcedonian Creed. And in doing so, we're going to review what the Creed is saying. Not so much today about the history or when it was done, but we'll see why. Most importantly, we're going to come to the important conclusion or purpose for which it was produced that the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah was fully sufficient that's our conclusion today in other words we can say that he has properly died for our sins that's important so we're going to introduce a term today that some of us have heard but the term is hypostatic union I pause for effect what is this what is hypostatic union well I'm going to talk about that for a minute but I'm going to give an example first I, and I want to take something that we're all familiar with. Um, I think we've all heard of a hypodermic needle. Are we familiar with a hypodermic needle? 
So let me talk about that for a minute. For a, minute. a hypodermic needle is a needle. We know what a needle is. It goes beneath the skin and it delivers whatever medicine you and I might need. So to break it down, hypo means below. Dermic refers to the skin. Our dermis is our skin. Hypodermic is below the skin. That's what a hypodermic needle is. So hypodermic literally means below our skin. So what about static? Well, static means lacking in movement. Lacking action, lacking change. In physics, for example, static would be the opposite of something or something that might be dynamic. So for us who are involved in those types of things, in a, in a process or in a lab, you would have a, a dynamic, something that's changeable, and then you would have a static, something that is not changeable. So when we're talking about static, we mean not movable. That make sense? So hypostatic means something that is down deep and immovable. That makes sense? Down deep and immovable. So, hypo, so hypostatic reunion, when referring to Christ, is this. This union refers to the combination of the divine nature and human nature, both in full, and it's a union the single person of Christ. So this creed refers to him being both fully man and fully God. And he is one person. This union is deep and immovable. So I'm going to say this. The reason for that is I can say he has rightly and properly died for our sins. That's why that's important. We'll get to that. What does that mean, that he rightly and properly died for our sins? That's the point of today's message. So we're going to ask the question, was Jesus a real man? Someone who could feel pain. Someone who could get hungry. Someone who could feel sad. Someone who could become scared. Was Jesus really God in the flesh? Someone who had supernatural knowledge. Somebody who would perform miracles supernatural feats, somebody who could heal people, do something like turn water into wine. Okay, I do get it. Yes, the spoiler alert, we all know. Yes, to the above. Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully man. That's a part of what we're going to be talking about today. But we have to realize, though, that the things that I mentioned, God, remember, they're irrational. So some of these things can't be. A normal person, if you have a person who is reading the scripture and they read some of these things, they might, this may not square with them. They may say, this doesn't seem rational. How could we have a man who is God? That may seem difficult. That may seem foolish to them. You with me? So we're going to hear from today these things, and then we're going to come, <laughs> well, here's the thought. Somebody who may read this may say, look, I, I, I could go home and watch Superman and I can see the same thing. That's fiction. So what I'm reading here sounds very much like Superman. Okay, That's what a rational person might do. So it's tempting then. If I'm a rational man, it would be tempting to say, let me not necessarily believe this. Let me just make a change or two to what I'm reading here. 
so that it makes more sense. And I'm doing everybody a favor when I make these changes because it's more sensible to do that. Now, I know we've talked about this before with creeds. Creeds, in a sense, try to keep us from doing these types of things. Okay? Scripture, obviously, is deep. And it is concrete. It does not move. We know that. Let's just make sure that we know that. So that's a part of today's study. So it's tempting for a rational person to want to make changes, even things in the Bible. So, most importantly, as we do this, as we talk about this, um, this trans, or I'm sorry, as we talk about this hypostatic union, I was about to give a different word that would make no sense at all. We're not talking about Superman on TV. We're not doing that. We're actually talking about a real person. We're not talking about a person who's been adjusted in Scripture, somebody who scribbles something out and rewrites something. Uh, a, a historian who may water down the Word of God and make something, quote-unquote, more rational. We're not talking about that Jesus. We're talking about the real one, the one who can properly die for our sins, that one. So, jumping to the end of the sermon, we want to pay attention to that. And if I'm doing that, I'm saying again, he has properly died for you and my sin. We can say something else also of enormous importance when we say that. <clears throat> if he rightly and properly died for our sins, check this out. He also raised from the dead. He actually raised from the dead. So I know these phrases can be some big hitters when it comes to making theological statements or making statements that relate to you and me with respect to our relationships with God. But that's what today's message is about. Okay? So let's pray. Lord, we are here today, this morning, gathered, and we're so glad to be able to read your word. And we're so glad to be able to pick up, as best we can, this understanding, or maybe better, this apprehension of who you are. God, you are so big, it is hard to understand in full. It's really hard to understand in part how great you are. But we can read your word. We have your spirit within us. And we can touch today the truth of your word. And so I pray that you would do that as we hear this message. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to pull from varying parts of scripture today. But I want to place a strong frame around what we read today. Um, I know in my family we talk about a picture a frame actually will change, many times, will change even the look of that picture. You know what I mean when I say that? You have a picture and you place one kind of frame around it. It gives a picture a particular look, but change the frame. Right. It's the same picture, but it has a different look. You know what I'm saying? So today what I want us to do is keep our frame in mind as we talk about a picture. So the frame today that I'm wanting us to kind of keep in the back of our heads throughout today is coming out of the Gospel of John. So I'm going to read or I'm sorry, John 1, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to jump to 10 through 15. Okay? So that's what I'm going to do now as we think about our frame. So let's stand, please, for the reading of this word. I promise this will be the last time you stand for a little while. All right, hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of will, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory in the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Okay, please be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I'm going to place a small emphasis on this last verse. Okay, so if you've got a frame, picture a neat little piece within that frame. I want to repeat John. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. I've completed our frame. John pointed to a man, a guy, a person who would have walked just like you and me. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says of Jesus that he made himself of nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was a guy. Picture a regular guy. He was made in that guy's likeness, not necessarily exactly. You're not going to look and see a person and go, yes, he looks like that man. Uh, he's not a twin of anybody, but he was born and made in the likeness of man. I wonder sometimes, though, what that likeness is. Kind of picture somebody really tall and muscular and, you know, whatever. But he was made in the likeness of man. Picture a regular guy. So what did he call himself? One of the titles Jesus gave himself was very frequently, he called himself the Son of Man. So we're going to take a few minutes and look at this man. We're going to talk about the man for a moment, this regular guy, Jesus. So let's, let's talk about some qualities of a man. Number one, actually not number one, just one of the qualities. He got thirsty. He was a man, he got thirsty. In John 19, 28, he said, and I quote, I thirst. He got thirsty. He got tired. In John 4, 6, says that Jesus was tired from walking. And before meeting the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, if you recall, he had this conversation with this woman at the well. He sat down to rest. Well, the quote says this. In John chapter 4, it says, Jacob's well was there as Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. His body became weary. He got hungry. The Bible records after his 40-day and night fast, he was hungry. Keep in mind, if this were me, it would be a 40-minute, 40 40-second 40 fast. I would be hungry. He was hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. It says this in Matthew 4, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
Jesus was hungry. In Matthew 4, 2, it says, I'm sorry, I just read it after 40 days and 40 nights. He became sorrowful. In Matthew 26, 38, he says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. A little hint there. Did you catch a little bit of a scared person too? Stay here with me. You guys remember in the garden of Gethsemane, sorry, he sweated, he sweat drops of blood. He was afraid. He knew what was happening. He was under immense pressure. So he got scared. Remember he cried when he heard from Mary about Lazarus dying? We recall the quote, Jesus wept, cried. And, of course, this man, Jesus, the man, died. He died. Every man and woman in this room will one day face this. So in Jesus' case, he was killed. We all know the story. This man died. He was fully, 100%, a man. If we were to write a biography about this man and just pretended or simply ignored the fact that he was also God in the flesh, we'd have a lot of relatable elements to his life. If you think about it, if you were to read the humanity of Jesus, and if we were to literally point that out and write a book or a biography of that, we would probably be talking about a man, a guy. I mean, well, not probably. We would, in fact, be talking about a man, a person who got scared, a person who feared, a person who was hungry, a person who was tired. Now, this, this person would have a lot of love in him. He would have a lot of conversation in him. Of course, these are all things that we would see in the man of Jesus. But what I want us to do is I want us to know that if we look at the man, he would be very relatable. That's kind of what I'm trying to get to. This person that we're talking about is relatable to you and me. That's important to know. As we develop our relationship with him, he's relatable. Does that make sense? So we want to be at a place that we can relate with him in his humanity. So let's remember, he was even tempted to sin. That's a difficult thing for me to say. <coughs> Jesus was tempted to sin. Hebrews chapter 4 says so. Verses 14 to 15 says this, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, we need to know that it's very important to realize that our relating to him, or put it another way, our relationship with him is very personal. A little bit of a pun there. As we think of the person of Jesus, our relationship is personal. The pun is intended. I actually have that in my note. This pun is intended. We are relating with this person, Jesus. <coughs> Okay, so back to our biography for a moment that I was talking about. So if we intended to be factual about this man, we're going to have to do something else. We're going to have to 
become unrealistic for a moment. So you're going to have to bear with me. I'm about to become unrealistic in this next component of uh, today's message. We're going to have to abandon some logic, maybe abandon our somewhat unchangeable belief in our normal five senses. Or put another way, our static belief. Remember, something that's unchangeable is called static. So why are we going to need to do this? Well, because Jesus is not just the Son of Man. The simple truth and fact is that Jesus is also the Son of God. So now let's abandon our senses. Let's read some facts, though. I'm going to read in John 1.1. It says this, that Jesus is God. It says, you know, we just read it a minute ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. Now, let's know that Jesus himself said he was God. John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. But don't just take him at his word. God the Father says that Jesus is God. In Hebrews 1.8, God the Father speaks of the Son, and he says this, of the Son he says, God the Father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That was a section where we were talking about the supremacy, or Hebrews is talking about the supremacy of Christ, even with relationship to the angels. He was letting us know, the apostle here was letting us know, that Jesus, by the Father, is called God. Man, if you ever want a credential, if you want a reference check, how about God, the Father? So in order to take care of these misunderstandings, let's think for a moment. The folks of the day, were they picking this up? Is there a chance that maybe somebody came in and made an alteration so that today we may read this, but his contemporaries maybe heard something else? Do you think that's possible? Well, let's take a moment and read what the folks of the day said about him. In John 10, 30, right after Jesus said that he was one with the Father, there was no misunderstanding with what he was saying. These guys weren't just hearing him say this and then, oh, okay, you and he are one. They, they understood the implication. So what did they do? Well, in John 10, 30 to 33, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Of which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. That's what they said. They understood what Jesus was saying. So what I'm saying is, as we read this, and we hear that Jesus is God, we're actually not misunderstanding what the Bible's saying. Your rationality, or my rationality, is being, is being challenged by the Word of God. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So, the Bible, God the Father, and Jesus all confirm that this person, Jesus, is in fact God Almighty. That's just the word part. There's actually more to this. They saw it, we recorded, or they recorded it in this book. There's no mistake. Now, what the Bible also discusses is that Jesus performed a number of miracles. So let's talk about it, just a couple of them. John chapter 2. Truth is, Jesus actually did turn water to wine. Okay? 
That was actually a miracle. He did not take, he did not take old squashed up grapes and put them in this vat and had it quote unquote ready for men to pour water in so that these old squashed grapes could get mixed in with the water and they stirred it and all of a sudden it was kind of like wine. It was watery grape juice or it was watery old wine. Nope, it was actually real wine. But it wasn't just wine as recorded. It was good wine. There is no mistake here. It was the real thing. Jesus made really wine. It was a miracle. John chapter 4, Jesus healed a nobleman's son. He healed somebody. He said to the man who was scared that his son would die, right around John 4, right around verse 50, he said, go your way, your son lives. This man went to Jesus and said, I'm afraid my son is going to die. And they weren't close to his son. They were away from his son. And Jesus told him, go, your son, your son is fine. They actually confirmed it later in that area or that section of the Bible. They checked at a later time and said, hey, at what time did your son get better? And they, they matched up the times with Jesus saying, go, your son as well. They matched up and said, ah, oh, that's when he became better. Isn't that kind of neat? So Jesus, from some other place, healed somebody over yonder that way. He does that today. He, he uses his word. So anyway, he did that. Jesus healed a blind man. There's a man who was blind. John chapter 9. Um, speaking of a, kind of a stage, kind of an interesting thing. There, there was a section where people would lay around. And we may have talked about this before. This may have been talked about before. And an angel would come. And then people, the first person who would touch that would be healed. You guys recall that? Well, let's talk about this, this blind man, John chapter 9. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I'm going to take a pause. Does that sound familiar with what happens today? There's something that's, that didn't happen well, or there's something that feels like a bad consequence. And, of course, what do people do? What do we do? We're tempted to say, who sinned? Who made the mistake? Because this is a consequence, and we reap what we sow. Here's a man who's blind, so somebody must have sinned that made God strike this man with blindness. That make, you're following me with that logic? Do you guys know that happens today? Do you know that in many ways, sometimes subtle or sometimes very obvious, we do that? Anybody ever experience persecution and say, I did something wrong? Yeah. Or somebody else did something wrong because I'm experiencing this. And because I'm experiencing this, I need to go back in my mind and I need to review my life and I need to find out what was it that I did wrong. Or what was it that they did wrong? Because here's this consequence. Now, don't get me wrong. There are consequences. We do reap what we sow. That is the truth. The Bible teaches that. But here is an example of a blind man. What did he do wrong? Well, maybe nothing because he was blind from birth. Oh, well, it had to be his parents. What did his parents do wrong? Or what did his grandparents do wrong? That's what this said. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? that he was born blind. 
Kind of a weird question. The man was born blind. What could he have possibly done wrong? <laughs> That's not necessarily sensible either. But nonetheless, Jesus gave him an answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and he washed. And he came back seeing. I'm not going to spit in any ground, just so you know. Jesus is the one who did that. And, and, and he gave this demonstration for these people. Uh, we do need to know something. He could have, if he wanted, he could have said, you're healed. And his eyes could have popped, right? The, the young man we just read about, when he, he was nowhere near. He said, your, your son is fine. He didn't spit on the ground and say, hey, have him go mash this on his temple. He didn't say that. He just said he's healed. In a way, this man, and I'm not saying, this is not, please don't take this as theology. Take this as, man, I'm a dad, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a guy. I, have, I, I read this and I think the love of God, the grace of God, gave this man an opportunity to participate in this. Wasn't that gracious of God to give the man? He said, here, take this, and then go wash. And this man had something that he could do. Did he need that? No. Did he need that for his sight? No. Jesus could have healed him, but Jesus gave him that opportunity. So he went, and he came back. He washed, and he came back seeing. Lots of examples that we can turn to. In fact, John, the gospel writer, said, the actual works of Jesus are so vast, I'm going to quote John 21 here, he said, suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Talking about Jesus that the entire planet, the whole world, wouldn't be able to contain these works. Now that is not necessarily a statement of humanity. right? That's kind of more of a statement of his divinity, of his divine nature. Because truth be known, if we were to try and write about Jesus, the Son of God, yeah, that'd be pretty massive. That writing would be pretty massive. So to summarize... We could run out of time if we were to talk about all of those things that Jesus said. So let me review just for a moment these claims. Jesus is actually God Almighty. He clearly said he was God. He's called the Son of God. He created all things as described in John. He performed miracles, some of which we review here. So I want to talk about some of the greatest accomplishments that he did perform that will make us, which will kind of take us back to his humanity for a quick minute. Because remember, he died. As a man, he died. He literally died. But what happened next? Of course, we know what happened next. But I want to place this frame again. Let's think about this frame for a moment for this story. And I want us to pull the gravity of what happens here. He was killed. He was buried in a grave. Gone. Dead. Not mostly dead dead, gone. His heart was not beating. His body was limp. 
His lungs were probably, quote unquote, out of place, probably were sinking because of the gravity within his lifeless body. He was dead. But on the third day, he was not dead. On the third day, he was alive. Story upon story that's been recorded by multitudes confirmed this. They saw it. They saw Jesus was alive. They saw him alive. And when they did, they responded just like they should have. Give an example of Thomas. When Jesus came, what did Thomas do? When Jesus said, here, put your hands in the wounds of the crucifixion of when he was killed. Put your hands here. What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. You got to know, this gives me goosebumps when I think about what Thomas said. He got it. He was apprehending something. He got it right. Jesus is God. So now, that's our frame. He's man. We took some time with that. He's God. We've taken some time with that. Jesus got hungry. He's a guy. He got thirsty. He got scared. And he died. But he's God. He claimed it. The Father said it. The Bible says it. He performed miracles. He told the future. He knew the past. He rose from the dead and is alive. God, man. But he is one person as well. There were not two people. There were not twins. There wasn't a man, Jesus, who had a twin. The God portion of Jesus. There probably would be, a, I guess, a movie that could be made about a man and then about this person who is God, but that would probably be a really bad movie. <laughs> it would be bad theology anyway. Yeah. Uh, but there's a man, there's God, but yet one person. This one person was born of a virgin. He, had, he did live a sin, sinless life. That is to say, he as a man lived here on earth and was tempted as a man to sin, but as God, he did not sin as it wasn't in his divine nature. As a man, he died. But as God, he rose again. So don't let these commonly repeated word phrases lose their meaning. We say it a lot. We say it a lot. But let's make this observation for this picture, and let's become settled, if we will, on these facts. Remember last week our teaching? There's a teaching out of First Peter involving, among other things, becoming more settled. Do you remember that? When we have something strong and concrete, we can become more settled in it. We can trust it. We can rest in it. You with me? No need to feel unsettled or feel the need to move around. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. So remember earlier in this message, the temptation to make things because of the outlandishness, quote-unquote, of this message, or the craziness or irrationality of believing some of these claims. It's hard to want to believe that these types of claims are there, and we may want to adjust something, something maybe that makes us a little bit more comfortable. But what I'm saying is we're really not more comfortable when we do that. We are actually more comfortable when we know the truth of Scripture and we realize that Jesus truly is the Christ. 
You have to take me on faith for a minute. Why is that more comfortable? I'm going to share why that's more comfortable. I have it in my notes. Because he made claims also about you and me. He made claims. But he also made them about you and me. What did he say about you and me? John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life. For who? For his sheep. He made a claim. This God-man person made a claim about you. He laid his life down for you. About me. He laid his life down for me. John 12, <clears throat> 1 through 3 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. He didn't die as a half human, guys. He actually died as a full representative of mankind. He didn't cheat by being God here. He properly died for you and for me. He was the full propitiation of our sins, as settled in 1 John 2, 2. Justice has been served. Our elder brother, the man, Jesus, died for us. So be settled. Be at peace. He has overcome the world and will actually come for you and for me again. And he will take us to where he is. And it's all because he already is settled. And he is firm and strong. He is like concrete. He won't be moved. He is with the Father. He is God. He has called you and me his fellow brothers and sisters to be with him. He, we will join him in this deep, strong, immovable union. That sound familiar? Deep union. We're going to get to join him in this deep, unmovable union. We get to be settled. So today, for the first time, it's just being us, when we go to this table today, when we take these elements today, let's realize this, what, that we're a part of this union. Let's take this wine and this bread knowing that we join our big brother in an unshakable and deep union. We will be settled as well. We will find rest here. So together we taste and see that the Lord is good. He calls you and me to be at peace here. He won't let anyone else in. He says in Matthew 11, 25, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, maybe those that might want to change things around. He has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, the Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's you and me. That's you and me. 
What does he say to you and me? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I will give you rest. That's you and me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm like you. I'm one of you. You're my sheep. I'm your shepherd. You're my people. He said, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Nobody comes here but his people. No wrong thoughts come here. Even those that sound reasonable to the wise and to the prudent, those thoughts don't come. You and I get to be just like babes. We get to be like little ones. Look around and see some of our little ones who take comfort knowing that mom and dad who are in the front seat drive and they know where they're going and the little guys are in the back. They're resting. They're relaxing. Actually, Mine aren't necessarily resting. Mine are roughhousing, if I'm being honest. Mine are doing spit wads. I'm joking, kind of. But mine have a lot of comfort knowing that mom and dad are in the front, that somebody's behind the wheel, they know where they're going. And mine are comforted knowing that they're safe in the back seat. You know what I'm saying? Our elder brother is in the driver's seat. Our elder brother's already gotten there. He's already driven there. He's gone somewhere. And guess what he's doing? He's coming back. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, hop in. Let's go. That's going to happen. Isn't that good? Isn't that good to know? Our Jesus, or I'm sorry, our, our Christ, Jesus, is our older brother. But he's also God Almighty. He's Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. God, it's so good to know these things. And I know sometimes it may be hard to hear, <clears throat> may be hard to understand, but God, we stand here and sit here today knowing that we can apprehend it. We know that you love us. You're our older brother. You're a man. We're your people, though. You're our God. You are fully man, fully God. You died for us, and yet you rose from the dead because that's who you are. That cannot change. That will not change. That is so good to know. Because our unchangeable Heavenly Father says, You're my people. I take comfort in that, and I'm so glad, Lord, that you have told us that we are your people. So I pray today, Lord, that we would take in our hearts and know that our shepherd comes for us. He's going to take us somewhere. It's going to be great. We actually get to experience that now. Here today, knowing, God, that you are the driver. And we get to participate in the labor of our older brother. You've called us to take your yoke. There's work to do. We know it. We're excited about it. There's stuff for us to do today, things for us to do today. But on this yoke, you've got the other side and you're carrying the load. What a privilege to be able to be the one that you've called to participate, 
just like the clay that you made and you had a person go and do something. You did the work, but you gave him a chance to be on that yoke. What a privilege to be able to do that. So I pray, God, that today we would know and be thankful and grow in that thankfulness, the privilege of taking the yoke of our older brother, who is God Almighty, that we can take this and find rest. Such a great thing. Pray we would carry that all week long. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.